Welcome to Agape Ministries Podcasts, a whole new way of thinking. Episode 130, part one of the teaching given by Margaret Silf, entitled God's Unfinished Business. Thank you, everyone. Am I on the air? (laughs) Good. Well, after that, thank you, Fred. I don't know what to say after that. It sounds preposterous to... I don't do answers, so that'll be quite clear. (laughs) Uh, We'll only raise questions during this this little session. It's uh, it's just after the graveyard shift, so um, I hope you're not all completely uh, worn out by the day. Uh, So let's have a bit of story time. This is time to think it about <coughs> to think about our story. They say there's a story growing inside everyone. And that's often thought to be the proverbial one-off novel that we, we've all got stored away inside us. But I suggest it's a bigger story than that. Um, it might be the story of who I am that Richard's been encouraging us to explore. And that's a fascinating story. That's about discovering God's dream in our own lives. And that's a huge story. But it might be an even bigger story than that, although it includes all of those. I suggest to you it's a story as big as the universe and as mind-blowing and as mysterious and as spellbinding as huge. And that's the story I'd like to just tip into a little bit today. Just explore, just dip our toes into it and let it thrill us, let it fill us with the sheer wonder of our being and raise those questions. Where is God in this? Who is, what is God in this? And above all, who is Jesus in this? And what does the incarnation mean in all of this? So there's a story growing inside you And you are growing inside a story. And as we journey through this story, we can hardly fail, I suggest, to become aware of what I would call a deep wisdom that pervades everything that exists, everything that is. And that leads us to a fundamental, let's say this in the light of what Richard said, there is a big difference between those who trust that the wisdom of the universe is truly a wisdom and those who flounder around in a universe where it appears there's no meaning uh, no wisdom, that everything is sheer chance. I guess most of us here would not doubt that there is meaning and mystery meaning in the mystery Uh, just to let us get in touch with that deep wisdom let's take a little trip to Alaska why not? Fares are down, you know, budget airlines over to the west coast of America. We're in Alaska and it's um, springtime maybe, um, not quite sure when all the seasons work on this thing, but the bald eagle is just hatching its chicks, or rather the chicks of the bald eagle are just beginning to hatch. Surprise, surprise, those eggs hatch precisely when the salmon are returning to the rivers of their birth to spawn and create the next generation before dying. Precisely then. And that then changes from year to year. 
How does the bald eagle know when the salmon's coming back? Meanwhile, the salmon, who have spent four years out in the Pacific Ocean, which is quite a big place, know where the river of their birth was and they find their way unerringly back to that river. I spent a quarter of an hour trying to find room 002 this morning. Um, God help me if I'm ever lost in the Pacific. So they know. Somehow they know. Meanwhile, the grizzly bears are gathering because they know exactly where to find the salmon and when. And all of that is just a tiny example of the wisdom of creation that is so much deeper than anything we, with all our cleverness, can fathom. And there are thousands of examples like that. For instance, I met a lady in January who um, was from Sri Lanka. And she'd, she'd been in Sri Lanka at the time of the tsunami. And she said the amazing thing was that a few days before the tsunami hit, the elephants disappeared. How do they know? They have more wisdom in the soles of their feet than we have in all of our supercomputers sometimes, it seems. So, there's a deep wisdom running through creation. If you want to move on now to the maternity ward, or rather the antenatal clinic, and watch an ultrasound scan of an unborn child, and you, have you ever wondered about all of those cells that are multiplying, dividing and multiplying in huge quantities, moment by moment as the fetus develops? How each cell knows what it's supposed to be. The bits that are, the cells that are supposed to turn into liver turn into liver. Those that are, turning, are destined to be heart turn into heart. Those that are meant to be fingernails turn into fingernails. How do they know? Reminds me, actually, to be completely flippant, of a, a joke I once heard about um, three people who were challenged to name what they thought was the great achievement of the 20th century. And they had to be, inevitably, the Englishman, the Irishman, and the Scotsman, but let's not get too uh, nationalistic about it. And one of them said, um, oh, it has to be, um, let's say, uh, the washing machine. Um, well, yes, everybody could see that that was a great invention. And the, the second one said, no, it, was, it must be the internet. Just imagine at the click of a mouse, you can talk all over the world. And the third one said, the thermos flask. The thermos flask? Ah, yes, he said. Well, you see, if you have a thermos flask, you can put hot liquid in it and it stays hot. And you put cold liquid in it and it stays cold. But how does it know? <laughs> now, I, I think the, the wisdom of creation goes a lot further than determining what to do with the thermos flask. Um, but it is there, isn't it, in the, the very way our cells divide. Um, to stand beneath the stars one night, stand with your feet firmly planted on the earth, and know that you are totally held by the force of gravity, you never wake up in the morning and think, I'd better put some stones in my shoes in case I fly off into space. You know that you are held. And yet the universe is as it is, because partly because of the forces of gravity holding everything together, and partly because of the centrifugal forces thrusting everything apart, and how and what wisdom holds all of that in balance. Just a few very simple and, and everyday examples 
of that deep wisdom that pervades all of life. So, is it all down to chance? I doubt that many of us here would suggest that it is. But bigger question even than that, where do we figure in such a vast cosmic story? Are we here by accident or by design? Is the deep wisdom of creation interested in us? Who or what is this mystery within and around it all? By what name shall we know it? And it doesn't really matter what name we know it by, because if we're not careful we'll just start arguing about which name is better. But probably the consensus here in this room would be, we can call that wisdom God. Will life prevail whatever catastrophes befall? And we'll look at a few catastrophes in a minute just to give us a bit of light relief. Um, or are we on a traje trajectory towards inevitable extinction? And finally, or one big question that we might look at today, are we the end of the line, homo sapiens? Is, is, is that where it ends? Or is there more? Big questions. And we also know that today, in our 21st century, we live very much in an age of uncertainty. We hear a lot of talk about paradigm shift. That's a, sh a fundamental earthquake-type shift in our way of looking at life and the way we understand things. Until perhaps the middle of the 20th century, uh, science was very much about the sort of machine model. You know, if we understand all the parts and all the, how they fit together, we'll understand life. We'll know the mind of God. Um, that all fell apart with particle physics, quantum mechanics and so on, when the only thing that turns out to be certain is uncertainty. And that lo and behold, everything is interconnected and interrelated with everything else. And what happens to a single particle in the universe potentially affects every other particle. Um, and what we do can make the difference between a breeze on one side of the world and Hurricane Katrina on the other side of the world. So everything interconnected. And surprise, surprise again, that's what the mystics have been telling us all along, that everything is interrelated, everything is interconnected, makes a huge difference to the way we live. So that kind of uncertainty can give us a huge anxiety complex, no doubt about it. I think perhaps that's a lot of what we are suffering it from in our generation. But it can also give us a renewed sense of awe and wonder. And when I've been reading various things and pondering about the universe story, I've felt for the first time in years, I mean decades even, the that I could relate to and engage with the word praise. For me, I have to be honest, praise had become a hackneyed word um, that I was supposed to feel praising and I was supposed to sing songs of praise. And I did, and I did all the right things, but I didn't feel that gut reaction. But looking at the wonder of the universe story has made me want to sing praise and say, this is absolutely amazing. This is so much bigger than I ever could have imagined, and so much bigger than I'm ever able, ever, ever going to be able to imagine. 
So, let's just take a little reflective walk this afternoon through the landscape of this great story, God's unfinished story. Twenty billion years ago, there was a supernova explosion. A vast star blew up, gave it off all its elements into the, into the depths of space, and those same elements that were released, the elements we learned in our chemistry classes, the whole list of them, that was their first appearance. They erupted out of this explosion of a star, a dying star. And those same elements are the elements of which your body and my body are made today. We are truly made of stardust. That's a fact. But it's also a beautiful parable because it tells us that out of something so destructive a whole new thing comes to be. One thing that struck me very much in our meeting, gathering time at the beginning of this afternoon was that, that image of the person fully alive, breathing in the breath of God, standing on the hillside. That wow moment and how close it was to the gesture of crucifixion. How whole new life truly does erupt out of catastrophe. Um, we'll explore that a little more as we go. So, we are made of stardust and we are energised by the very energy that made that whole starburst happen. But it hasn't been plain sailing. So let's do a few catastrophes just to keep us grounded. And if we thought that um, extinction and uh, global warming and all of that was uh, our own invention, aren't we clever? Um, let's just look back a bit. Two billion years ago, the first ice ages, as far as I know, and science is always moving on, and, and I'm not a scientist, let me make that clear. Nor am I a theologian. I'm a pilgrim questing on my own journey, stumbling over every rock and every pothole that I come across, and only sharing the things that are exciting me with you, for you to take anything that feels right for you, and to let go of anything that doesn't. So, um, as I understand it, about two billion years ago, a major glaciation, and also... Uh, a, a fairly sudden and, and sharp increase in the level of oxygen in the atmosphere. Now, you definitely wanted to know about the oxygen levels in the atmosphere. You wouldn't have come on a spirituality day if you hadn't had that burning question. But it is a burning question because that's exactly what it did. That rise in the oxygen levels burnt everything up, almost. The only bits of life, it was obviously primitive life forms then, the only primitive life forms that survived were those that learned to breathe for stuff. Uh, transformation. What do we do with our suffering? We either let it be transcended or we transmit it, uh, as Richard was telling us earlier. Um, only a parable, the oxygen crisis, but an interesting one, that such a catastrophe turned into what we call the breath of life. Now, that doesn't mean that every catastrophe that besets us is going to be good and fruitful, but it does mean there is a possibility and that we do 
reach through to transcendence, often we reach breakthrough only through breakdown. <coughs> so that was the first breakdown I'd like to offer you. Uh, 570 million years ago, another massive glaciation, 80 to 90 percent of all life forms were eliminated and the whole cycle <coughs> had to go back and start again. And yet, life continued to evolve. Life, it seems, will not be stopped, whatever happens. The thrust of life, this wisdom, this power of God, is going for life. And nothing, nothing can subvert it. I once remember moaning to my spiritual director, a good, long-suffering Jesuit, um, about how I uh, was worthless and, and made a mess of everything and was a danger to man and beast and all of that. And he listened patiently and then he said, Margaret, it's very difficult to undermine the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that. And it was true in my little bit of messing about, but it was also, it's also true, the story of life tells us again and again that nothing undermines the thrust and desire of God for life in all its fullness, that we are moving towards fuller and fuller life. So we recovered from that 245 million years ago. News that wouldn't surprise us if we saw it on, on Channel 4 News tonight. Climate change. 75 to 90% of all life forms eliminated, destroyed, again, through climate change, that, which was not our fault then. That's no reason why we should allow ourselves to make it worse now, but... And then 67 million years ago, and believe it or not, you've, you already know all about this because it's all neatly documented in your nature books that you did when you were 10 in primary school because it famously eliminated the dinosaurs. Um, bad news for the dinosaurs, but very good news for the placental mammals. And that, friends, is us. Um, so, the elimination of the dinosaurs actually made space on planet Earth for a new form and a more advanced and a fuller form of life to emerge. Which brings us to the uncomfortable fact that there's no guarantee for the individual species. But what will not be destroyed is life itself. So, what does that mean for Homo sapiens? It also reminds us that Every new surge of creativity seems to emerge out of a period of instability. And life seems to unfold in greater diversity than before, whenever it takes a shockwave in its stride. I don't know if you've found that in your personal story. I think many of us, will, with hindsight, will know that that's true. When we take a shockwave, when something very traumatic happens... Uh, either it destroys us, but we're not destroyed because we're all here and we're all still searching. Or it gives us new strengths. I can't remember the man's name. Who was it said, um, what doesn't destroy me makes me stronger? It'll come to me in the middle of the night and I'll phone you all up and tell you. Um, uh, it, there, is, there is a very powerful fact in that, that what doesn't destroy us makes us stronger. These shockwaves, these periods of great instability, can indeed lead us to new creativity. That, let that be a, a point of hope for us, not just in our world, but also in, in our religious life today. 
um, because we are in massive instability. Something is going to shift dramatically, is already shifting, and it's very scary because we're all hanging onto the scaffolding, hoping that nothing will move. Um, and it will move, but there will be something radically new. The Noah story reminds us of that very much. I love the Noah story because um, there, it, there you have your extinction, your flood, your, your tsunami, whatever it is. And Noah gets in the ark and doesn't have to do anything except let God get on with it. And the destructive floods themselves raise the ark up to a higher place, to the top of Mount Ararat. Um, there's something about these destructive things that brings us to a higher place if we allow that to happen. Now, that can sound like facile optimism. I'm well aware of that. And at a personal level, dealing with trauma is far from that simple. But I, this isn't the theme of this talk, so... I just want to acknowledge that that is so. But let's move on now to the beginnings of human life. And let's, let's move on, oh, just three million years ago, which is not the beginning of Homo sapiens, but it's interesting. And I've got here um, a few of my toys that you might like to have a look at later. One is, I better show you. This is a jacaranda pod, which may or I'd like to think comes from Tanzania. And there's no proof of that, but because I actually got it in Glastonbury. <laughs> um, and this other one, this is an Ethiopian cross. Tanzania and Ethiopia span the equator, stand like sentinels each side of the equator. And that is the cradle of our life, our human life. Um, I've heard it said by many, um, and I can only repeat it that it, how important it is to acknowledge the roots. The first world is actually Africa. Africa is not the third world. Africa is the first world. We have far more to learn from our African roots than we ever could have to teach them. Um, that would seem to me to be very important to recognise where those roots are. So, we'll go to Tanzania And in Tanzania, we find um, three, roughly three million years ago, don't quote me on the dates, that it's not the facts that matter here, it's the story and where the process that, that's moving on in this. Three, two adults and a child, three early hominids, not homo sapiens, three early hominids, possibly two, possibly there was a child, possibly not, scientists are not sure, were walking through a field of mud after the eruption of a volcano, through volcanic ash. Not a good place for them, but for us, a very happy circumstance because they, they left their footprints behind and they became fossilised and they're no, now known and, and are visible there as the Laetoli footprints. Well, why is that of any interest to our spiritual journey? It's interesting because it reveals that three million years ago, hominids were already bipedal. You don't leave footprints like that unless you're walking on two legs. And that was quite a big deal. Now, why exactly? Well, well, let me just offer you something that might give you pause for thought. This certainly did me. In Genesis, we learn that Eve was cursed with pain in childbirth not to mention difficulties in relationship. 
um, as a result of sinning, eating apples and getting other people to eat apples, okay? Um, now, that, I'm, not, I'm not in any way diminishing that because I think these stories in Genesis are powerful at an archetypal level, really powerful. And we'll look at, we'll, we'll explore them a little bit more. But was it sin? Was it original sin? Or was it progress? Um, the scientists, the medics and so on, will tell us now, without any doubt, that difficulty in childbirth is a direct result of walking on two legs. So ladies, you know what to do about it. <laughs> Go back on all fours, which is, which is a birthing position, of course, but that doesn't help the fact that your, your hips, your pelvic joints, of bones have already evolved because of um, various reasons, holding the inner organs and everything to a, a place, to a shape, which makes it difficult to give birth. Animals don't have this problem. Um, there's something in there about going on two legs, bipedalism in Genesis, just, just to reflect on some of the implications of that. Apart from this pain in childbirth, which for me raised a big question mark in my mind. Hey, this isn't original sin at all. This isn't punishment. And uh, Richard's been reminding us of this whole business of reward and punishment and how we need to leave it behind. This isn't punishment, this is actually progress. This is our evolutionary story. So thank you for taking the time to listen to these episodes. Our prayer is that as you listen and reflect on these teachings, that you'll be encouraged to continue your journey, to maximise your potential, to have a good and a happy life. So sign in again next week for more teaching on how you can follow the Jesus way to experience your life is filled with meaning, purpose and joy. So God bless and stay safe.